Welcome to HivriaCast, the podcast where I, Alad Nehrai, speak with some fascinating and incredible creative Jews. Hello, and welcome to HivriaCast. I am super excited. We have Tali here. Mm-hmm. Tali, um, you go just by Tali, right? I do, yes. As you just told me in the failed intro, you are the <laughs> share when, of the Jewish world. I, well, you, <laughs> those I were yours you, words, yes, sir. Yes, yes, I would never, <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> well, you I corrected appreciate my the comparison. Yes. Well, I'm no. super excited to have you for so many reasons. Um, first of all, you are one of the few people that I connected to through Twitter. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I've started to connect to more people through Twitter, but yeah. like, what was so interesting about our connection because it started with politics, right? Yes. Like you were interested in my writing on the forward and stuff. Very much. And then yes. we met, and you were like, and you started talking about your art, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, do you know that I'm doing this whole other artistic <laughs> thing? Yeah. And um, that was so cool. Yeah. I, I loved that, and it was like the mat. To me, it's like the magic of connect, like Jewish connection. Right. You find these recesses of life that we're all part of. Yeah, really Jewish cool. geography on the internet. Yeah. It's very good. Yeah. We're like, we're making Jewish geography interesting. I you think know, that's yeah. always nice. I always found it interesting though. I really? love that. I did. Yeah. I, I mean, I love so many things about Jewish culture mm. and it's so hard to explain uh, to a non-Jewish person that like at any point I can be like, wow. where are you from? <laughs> that's so, see, yeah, I don't know why I've always had an aversion to it. Oh, fair enough. You know what? We'll delve into this. This is deep We'll stuff. get in there. We'll get like in there. We'll get, <laughs> this exactly. is 30 minutes in conversation. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you are really ready for a Jewish podcast. Oh, I have a thousand. <laughs> I just feel like there's so much that, that I can't do anywhere else. So if I bring out so my just, five Bubby voices, just know they're, they're here. Wow. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, welcome to you and your Bubbies. Thank you. Um, Thank you. So before we jump into questions of Jewish geography and its relevance or not, <laughs> uh, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about what you do and who you are, because I know you have an album coming out. You're mm-hmm. a songwriter. That's yeah. my very quick summation. Thank you. Um, but there's so much more to what's happening. And I think for the Jewish creative world, which is really a big part of our audience, mm. I think they really need to hear um, because you're, you're kind of coming from an angle that's almost the opposite of a lot of the people that I know who start off in the Jewish angle mm. and then try to bring that into the artistic realm, mm. um, mainstream or otherwise. Mm-hmm. And like, like the modest Yahoo route, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you are kind of going in the other direction. Yeah. So I know I just kind of said so much myself, but I would love to hear it from your point of view. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you. I have never actually been able to put into words what you just said. So well done. <laughs> um, yeah. Just because that, that is exactly it with Matis Yahoo is that he went the opposite direction of where I went. And, and thank you. I've been trying to figure that one out for a while. So yeah. well done. <laughs> um, yeah. So my name's Tali. My real name is Talia. Um, I'm a singer and a songwriter and a producer of music, and also at this point now a co-founder of a record label called Rainbow right. Blonde Records. Wow! And and you have a podcast. I do. <laughs> Which we will. Yes, one day. we will have you as a guest. I love it. Rainbow Blonde Records has a podcast. Yes, called One Plus Two Plus Three Plus Four. Is that what it's called? It is. Yeah. That's really It adds cool. up to ten, and actually has like Kabbalah um, significance. It's wild. It's a it's a beautiful thing. And yeah. I, I love this. The, I love the new sort of revolution of podcasts where it's just people talking and there's so much beauty to come from that. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, 
I've been singing for a long time and for the last few years have really centered my career on writing music for other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that had been my bread and butter and really what I became good at. And then in the last year, I was in Los Angeles for the last two years, and in the last year I started to write songs that just felt too personal and I became... I, it became increasingly difficult to consider giving it to another singer to sing. Wow. And so through that, we came up with this album that is now out. Oh, my God. came out on Friday. It's called I Am Here. But for, you know, since this is a podcast of our people, it's mm-hmm. actually Hineni. Um, but we wow. called it I Am Here. Mm. And... Yes, it came in sort of a, a, an opposite direction, as you said, where the closer I got to my identity lyrically, the more I felt that I couldn't neglect such a clear part of my identity, which was my mm. Jewish identity. Mm. And so I worked to bring that in in a way that felt consistent for me now, mm. uh, because it was such a big part of my growing up in childhood. And then there was sort of this lapse where I wasn't incorporating any part of my Jewish identity. Mm. And so you were a part of that. I Mm. sought out voices that aligned with how I saw the world. Uh, And you were one of those people. Uh, Rabbi Susan Goldberg in Los Angeles was one of those people who runs a service called Nefesh. And so through that, I started to rediscover these really beautiful cultural parts of myself and incorporate that into my music. And that is now on an album called I Am Here. <laughs> wow. Um, all right. I think we're done. Hey, yeah. was, <laughs> you really like summed it all up. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, I'm like, so I'm actually really curious about. So it's so interesting to me because I, I don't think I've ever had someone who worked purely as a songwriter uh-huh. on the podcast. Uh-huh. I've also brought up many times my angst about musicians. We can get to that. Ooh. But I'm very Confused by musicians in general as a writer, yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but songwriter, um, I'm curious. Like th- there, there's in general like a lot of loss of ego. I imagine with that, like, or in a good way. I'm saying yeah. You're like giving up yourself a little bit for yes. other people. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm curious, like, what attracted you to doing that as opposed to like now where you're at now. You yeah, know? it was a. Uh, it was sort. I don't believe in accidents, but as far as I know, it felt like an accident. Oh, this is I, so Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> I was singing. I w- I've been a singer for a, a long time, and I had an album, and I had a career, like a nice little mm. indie folk career on the Lower East Side, mm-hmm. singing at Rockwood Music Hall. And I had had an album out, and Jose, Jose James, uh, my record label co-founder and creative and life partner, but at that time he was none of those things, wow. he came to a show of mine at Rockwood. I really loved it. And at the time I was working for his record label and he invited me in to write on one of his songs. And I talk about this a lot, that it was that kind of key moment, I think, in anyone's career where he said, hey, do you, I, I love your lyrics. Do you want to come and try and write on mine? And I had never written for someone else and had never mm-hmm. considered writing for someone else and had no intentions at that time of writing for someone else. But that moment is so important where I just said, yeah, of course, I write for other people, sure. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it turned out I was really good at it. And like you said, that suspension of ego is a joy for me because Mm. my head is going all 
the time. Mm. And so it's actually a really beautiful space. It's almost like a therapy space. That's the role you take on as a songwriter because you're walking in oftentimes into a moment. Sometimes I'll go into sessions where someone has a really difficult manager, for example, or a lot of pressure from their label and they need to deliver this now. So they call me in because they know I write fast, you know? Oh, wow. And so I'll come in and the person is just distraught. Mm. And it's my job to center them and talk to them. Usually I spend about two hours talking to the person about what's going on in their life because generally what's going on in your life is the most compelling stuff, but nobody thinks that. You know, everybody wants to write some big anthem, but just like in writing, not Mm. musical writing, they say write what you know. And so... Most times someone will say something incredibly poetic in that two hours that they didn't think of. And so I'll say, well, what about if we wrote that, you know, Mm -hmm. and we'll start to work on that. And that suspension that I, I, I call songwriting musical dress up. I love it because I get to completely take myself out of it and that part of me that needs art to be precious Mm. and it's entirely in service to someone else and I love it so much. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to totally reveal my complete (gasps) ignorance about this (laughs) because this is how I thought songwriting went until this very moment. Oh, no. (laughs) I thought there was just like this marketplace of songs. Uh Uh-huh. Like I don't even know what I was thinking, but like – and they just like an, I don't know like a Netflix and you just pick your song as a, as a as a musician and just choose that. That does exist. That does exist. Oh, okay. very much. Yeah. All right. So, but what you, you weren't do, totally off. Okay, I wasn't totally off. Yeah. So that is a thing that exists in the world. And many of my songs exist in that state. Got it. Okay. If you wanted, right. you know, I have a publishing company. I'm, I'm signed to a publishing company, and they uh-huh. own a lot of songs that I have that just sort of sit. And, you know, you can go through and be like, mm. we want a Sarah Bareilles sounding breakup song. I have mm-hmm. five of those, you know. I have no idea what that means. But I like okay. <laughs> yeah, she's like a... <laughs> oh, she's a music... I, yeah, I thought it was a like sing- a term, a Sarah, oh, Sarah nice. Bareilles no. or something like that. <laughs> yeah, those exist. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a whole marketplace. That's more... Um, that exists... Let's but, say I wanted to I wanted to get a song. Yeah. <laughs> How would that work? What would I do? I'm just... I'm fascinated by this. Yeah. Uh, well, it depends. Are you singing the song? Um, Would you be singing the song in this hypothetical land? Let's assume that I can possibly sing. I can't, but... Nice. Okay. Let's assume So you could Mm. go to uh, a publishing company or a licensing company and say, I'm interested in a song about a breakup and they can, you know, bring you five Talia. My, uh, mm. when I write songs, I go by my name. So you could, they could bring you five Talia Billig originals and you could pick one of those. Wow. Or you could set up what's called a writing session, um, which is really common in LA, less common in New York. And you would come in sometimes to someone's home, sometimes to someone's studio, sometimes to another studio. Mm. Um, a lot of us are signed to publishing companies. So those publishing companies have studios, um, ASCAP, a performing rights organization, has writing rooms now in New York. So you'd come in and then we'd have that, you know, with me at least, I don't know how anyone else does it, but that, you know, aforementioned therapy session. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's, yeah. That's so interesting because, yeah, I always thought of it as a very, like, impersonal thing, but it sounds like there's, at least among a lot of people, there's a very personal element to this work. When it's right, yeah. When it's I, right, yeah. I try and approach every part of my life like that. Mm. I say this a lot. I don't I don't know how other people live their lives, but I can't do anything without a personal connection mm. because I 
am very bad at faking. (laughs) I'm very bad. My face is really expressive. Mm -hmm. And so people can tell right away when I'm stressed or angry or disgusted or any of those things. So it really matters to me that I connect to someone. I can't do it otherwise. I've had writing sessions where someone has come in to potentially write for me that have been disastrous (laughs) because they came in in like a very cold, let's get this done kind of way. And Uh, I I can't function like that. So interesting. Because, yeah, that's like... um I think that's, you know, I've been, as Hebria has grown and and my work has grown, like I've, I've been trying to formulate something, uh, that like for a while took me a a long time to understand, which was we're building this spiritual, we're building this creative community. Mm -hmm. Right. And, but then it starts to become this thing that's actually like its own actual community, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Like Mm -hmm. we're not just a bunch of artists to get together, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. We're like creative people yeah. using creativity. Um, and then these principles start to get to apply to people that aren't even necessarily artists at all or anything like that. And yet it seems to have a lot of power with such people. And so I was trying to figure out what is it about that? What does it have to do with religion and, and Judaism? And one of the things that I've, I've come to discover is something that I feel like you're expressing, which is that it's hard to use this word, but I'm going to use it because I'm on a podcast. Who cares? Yes, yeah, your podcast. It's my podcast. Yeah. So true creativity mm. is starts from within. Mm-hmm. It it's I would argue that propaganda starts from outside and goes inwards, mm. and creativity starts inwards and goes outwards. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about this nice. stuff <laughs> and talking about it on podcasts. Yeah, fair but, enough. <laughs> but um. Yeah, and I think this idea of like valuing ourselves first when we do something is so important. And it's something that we learn through creativity. But in my, from what I've seen, it seems to also be like something that's a way of thinking, right? Like, because Mm. the idea of propaganda versus creativity could very much, very, could very easily be applied to things like, um, you know, how we relate to community, right? Mm-hmm. Like we can either relate to it as like conformity or an individuality that comes out through a communal collective experience. Mm. Um, and so I think, yeah, so I think it's so, it's so interesting to hear that even as a songwriter for you, there's this power in starting first from inside yourself. Yeah. Which is really, even as you're letting go of your ego at the same time. Yeah, Exactly. And I and I I love what you were saying about community. For me, like, it's funny. I had an interview recently where the woman was saying that. <laughs> I hope I'm not razzing her in public, but she was saying What's that her it, name <laughs> that she she felt it seemed so strange that I was so community based when I was from New York, which is so individualistic. And oh, that's for, interesting. Yeah, and so for me, any good community is essentially a celebration of every individual. Ah. Uh. You know, no wonder you're here on this podcast. <laughs> I love this. Sorry. And it, so I was trying to explain that to her, mm. you know, and, and that's so for me, like nothing gets done with just one person. And I love, I, I love what you said though, about this sort of spark inside. And it does at its best feel very spiritual. Mm. Like my best songs I feel have very little to do with me. Mm. Um, you know, they're, they're the harnessing of years of work. Yeah. But they're, they also come from a place, my best friend says this all the time, she likes to make the distinction between creatives and creators, mm. where a creator, she'll say, there's ether, and then there's a song, mm. you know, and there's, and you're in the middle of those two things. Yeah. And I, that's, that's how, that's my favorite thing to do. And yeah. I like 
being in, I, I need to be in a community because to me that broadens that process and rich in, enriches that process. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And what's so funny about it is I was start, I don't know how this just happened to me <laughs> in the moment, but I, I, for some reason, have not really applied this to religion itself. I've been thinking about it communally, artistically, but it's yeah. really true, I think, also with religion. Religion can also be this thing where it's either like coming down upon you from outside mm-hmm. and you are like trying to take it on, especially like as someone who became Orthodox later mm-hmm. in life, like... I think that you can have that experience of it just like descending upon you. Mm-hmm. And I also, I wouldn't want to like completely discount that angle, but I, I, what seems to me to be really interesting is, is that I think most people become attracted to religion as they grow, as opposed to people who grew up with it. Like, oh gosh, I'm going into dark territory here. I'm going to get myself in trouble. So what I've noticed about mm-hmm. religion itself is that you either have an option of it ex- you experiencing it as something from outside that you're pushing within yourself mm. or it's something that you're experiencing inwardly and then it gives you kind of a, um, like in the Hasidic terms, like a keli, uh, uh, like a vessel mm. by which to express that, you know, infinite connection to Hashem. Basically. I love that. Yeah, I mean, well, that's what you just said, and I'm just <laughs> writing off of it. But I well, think... I really liked it. Yeah, I mean, for me, yeah. um, I mean, it's so fascinating to hear that expressed that way, like that you said it was a spiritual experience with the ether, yeah, coming through you, yeah, yeah. I love yeah, that. and I actually, you know, spiritually watched. I loved what you said though about the difference between growing into religion versus assuming it, or mm. growing into spirituality versus assuming it. I have both. But I watched my dad, for example, who has, it's weird to say this, but maybe my favorite Jewishness I've ever seen. Wow. Um, That's beautiful. Yeah, where he's gotten progressively more religious as I've grown up. We grew up, when I was growing up, we were, you know, good Jews and celebrated Shabbat and did all of that. But we were in a conservative uh, synagogue and that was the extent of it. And my dad now davens every morning and puts mm. on tefillin and has this beautiful spiritual practice that I love. Mm. And it's just for him. Wow. And it's so meditative in a way that I can explain to any non-Jewish person or Jewish person as, as this is this is for him. He leads a more, he leads this beautiful service-filled life that's informed by his spirituality. And I love that. And so it's been, I think, a lot of my, a lot of the way that I move through the world is informed by this brilliant man who raised me. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I'm really lucky. Wow. Okay. So I would, this is like a good segue, I guess, like into (laughs) what caused you to then move on from, well, not move on, but take this next step into this combination of spirituality and art. Yeah. I'm really curious about what, I mean, you kind of touched on it, but I'm curious what really brought you there. I had separated actually, because that's the thing, that man and his wonderful wife, my mother, raised me in this beautiful open home with um, really clear and joyous Judaism. And then I had kind of separated. I got to New York and to be honest, I think I, I thought that I thought that people would want to hear my art separate from my identity, which is a very silly thing to think. But at the time, that's what I thought. What do you mean by that? I, 
I thought that people would want to just hear, in my mind, and I put mm. this very much in air quotes, just hear music. Mm. I thought they would just want to hear songs or folk or something. I was like, if people, people in my head, and again, very silly and wrong, people who want to listen to Jewish music will listen to Jewish music. And people who want to listen to folk music will listen to folk. I didn't mm. think that there could be both, well. despite Leonard Cohen and like plenty of people in the past proving otherwise. But I it, think most people think like that. They do, right? yeah. yeah. And I, mean, I think, and that makes sense. Right. Um, I don't want to sound presumptuous, but I have done quite a bit of research and I don't know that an album, at least like this, that I have out has existed before, um, where it's a fully contemporary pop album with pop sounds because I've been writing and producing them for two years now. Well, two to five years now, really? two of them in LA. Um, and sort of New York songwriter sensibilities. And it's also Jewish. And I got there through, um, moving to LA. Actually, I got to Los Angeles and I'm from New York hmm. and have lived my whole life in New York. And in New York, I love this. I feel like Judaism is kind of assumed. Yeah. You know, I feel like New York, it's like bagels, <laughs> seltzer, Jews. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I love them. You know, um, there's so many of us here. Yeah. At least when I got to L.A., that was not my experience, although there are lots of amazing Jews in Los Angeles. When I got to L.A., for the first time, I was met with quite a bit of anti-Semitism. Really? Yeah. Uh, wild anti-Semitism. In what form? Like straight up elders of Zion level mm. conspiracy theory, anti-Semitism, always from incredibly intellectual people in rooms full of books, anti-Semitism, wow. you know, where they were explaining to me why the Jews run the world, why the Jews run Hollywood. This is a big one in LA, why the Jews in their mind own all of Los Angeles. Just crazy, wild shit. Is this, sorry to make this all politicized, but mm. is this like the liberal form or the conservative form? Liberal form. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. And it was my first experience with this form of anti-Semitism, mm. which is incredibly disarming yeah. because it's not necessarily voiced hatefully in my experience mm. and it's very intellectual. So I'm used to, you know, getting yelled at about how the Jews hoard all the money, right. <laughs> but I wasn't necessarily used to this form and it, it threw me back. Wow. And, you know, I, that there came, that there was that. So there was this part of me that was on the defense, but then a part of me that just authentically missed this Jewish culture that I was from, mm. you know, this assumed Jewishness that I think we're so fortunate to have in New York that I didn't realize was such a gift mm. and I missed it. And so I started to look for a community that would reflect my life, you know, and my life is creative and diverse, my community and beautiful and wonderful. And I wanted that. And I told my friend Ari that I met him in a party and told him like, yeah, I've been really trying to find the right synagogue for that. Mm. Uh, and he found, he was the guitar player <laughs> in oh. uh, this synagogue called Nefesh, which again is Rabbi Susan Goldberg. And on Fridays, every other Friday in Los Angeles, they meet, you know, we, I don't know, what's the word? I'm a bad Jewish person. We daven. 
<laughs> and have Shabbat services. I've never been on like a explicitly yeah. Jewish You're podcast. You're going to have to leave right now. Yeah. So not. apologies <laughs> to you listening. I'm, I, I love you and I'm trying <laughs> to fit in. No, I'm joking. So I went to this service and I cried through the whole service. Wow. Whole really? service. Yeah. Because wow. I had missed that. Wow. I hadn't gone to temple since I was 15, wow. you know? And I lo- those melodies are deep in my body. And not just that, again, I think we're so fortunate as Jewish people, like not just in my body, this body, in my ancestry, in the blood that's going through me. Mm. We've been singing these melodies for thousands of years. And I cried. I I cried in the back by myself Mm. just to be embraced, musically at least, by this experience. And also to look around, and there were so many Jews of color, and it's just such a diverse community, this community of Nefesh. And I just kept coming back. And my sound evolved alongside that service. Mm. I love them so much. They're thanked in my album, Mm. you know? And so then I started to return to these melodies and examine them as a musician, you know, where harmonically where they came from and also to examine the themes lyrically of Judaism and what we're searching for, how we never stop asking questions, how we're always looking for different ways to say things, you know, like even the Talmud, like this idea that we just like keep analyzing things. And I love that. So I brought that into the sound and that I'm very thankful for that. That's how I got there. Very long answer. Apologies. No. <laughs> That's uh, relative to most stories like that. It's pretty short, actually. Nice. Okay. (laughs) I'm doing all right. (laughs) You're doing great. Nice. Um, That's so, I mean, I find that so fascinating that it was really music itself that, that allowed you to re-access that Jewish part of yourself. Yes. And through that came the spiritual part. Yeah. But first, I don't know. I I just, that's what I remember in my heart. Mm. Just my family singing. Mm. You know, there are five of us, and we sang a lot. <laughs> what? Okay. So here comes my angst part. But what is it about music? I mean, I'm fascinated by this question. You did I don't promise get it. this angst part. Yes. I told you it was coming. <laughs> it um, I, I, I actually, this is less angsty. I'm actually really curious now about what is it about music mm. that does that, like that opens that up for mm-hmm. people. Like it doesn't open it up as much for me. Like a, um, Fabrengans, you know, like mm-hmm. Hasidic Fabrengans, yeah. I will, um, when the, like there, you know, it'll go between like talking and then singing. And I just sit there <laughs> silently, uh, during the singing because I'm not, I'm not moved by it. it I, I am moved by music, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm there for to, to heat, to, to hear ideas and to listen and to communicate and stuff. Um, and so I'm very curious what it is about music that opens up that spiritual part of people. It's so clear that it does, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so obvious, you know, at mm-hmm. concerts and the fact that, you know, there's not many people, like there's, you're not going to fill a stadium of people to listen to poetry, but you will for... Allen Ginsberg. You know. He was he was pretty Did popular he fit? with... Not stadiums, yeah. but yeah. Anyway. Fascinating. But in general... But what is it, Largely the speaking. Um, <laughs> yeah. Can you answer this very deep question? Yeah, I don't... There is definitely science to this effect, and mm. I am no scientist. But I can say... I'm also just curious about your personal experience. Yeah, like what I mean, About you. Like, what, what, did, what do you think 
moved you so much in that regard? And why do you think that it connected to something spiritual? Yeah, good question. Music is vibrations. Hmm. Um, everything is vibrations, <laughs> just to get real woo-woo on you. But well, it's the most essential way of expressing yeah, vibration, right? Yeah, exactly. Huh. And... And it's really pure. The fr- I, I'm so thankful. I went to the new school for jazz and contemporary music. <laughs> and there was this teacher. Is named- that how they pronounce it? Yeah, just every time. <laughs> it's just such a long name. I can't say it without making fun of myself. <laughs> and there was this teacher named Richard Harper. And he taught us about this series called the Overtone Series, which is how sound functions. And I won't get into the technicalities of it, but it's as the vibrations get smaller, you get higher notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and it's just this really beautiful thing to witness. Some notes with the Overtone Series will vibrate at a certain way um, on a certain instrument that you'll hear a higher note, for example, mm. on a piano when you hit a key because it's a physical thing and your a hammer is hitting a string, you'll hear the Overtone Series if you really listen and mm. your ears are attuned to it. Those kinds of things to me, I think, and again, don't know the science of it, but I think our bodies feel that in a way that's very primal. Mm. Um, and I think on a good day, spirituality aligns with that. Wow. Yeah. It's like, um, this might be totally inaccurate scientifically, but the word that comes to my mind is like precognitive. It's yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it transcends. And again, just yeah. like spirituality can do that. It transcends. And I don't know that there has to be an explanation for it. I kind of prefer that there isn't. Mm. <laughs> wanted answers i'm um, sorry no. <laughs> no i mean that was very i was, was just getting very... a roundabout way to say i don't know the answer but i'm good don't worry about it <laughs> <laughs> well but i think well that's the thing about you musicians but anyway is yeah. that here yeah, we go. we're I just got like oh sorry we're these spiritual beings yes, don't worry exactly. about it <laughs> we don't need to explain it whatever it's but like, you really can't ah i'm so right. sorry no i know because I, I'm, as a writer i want everything to be in a story i want to be able to 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 have the words to explain it but the whole point of music i think well, yes no? and no. Let okay. me give you let me give you some answers. I don't want to leave you completely no not answerless. So answer wise <laughs> which, which Bubby was that? Yeah, that well there were a few with them. There's a high <laughs> voice. I have this one. She's my favorite. <laughs> but back back to business. So okay. um when I was a kid I could sing, right? I could sing pretty. Mm. I had a voice and I could sing things. It took me years to learn how to use that voice. Mm. So there are ways in the same way that maybe, I don't know, do you remember the first time you wrote? The first time I wrote? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such a good question. I rem- remember my first memory of writing is complaining about how hard it was to do spelling nice. in first grade. Yeah, so you had a memory. feeling uh-huh. and you needed to express it mm. in a way that wasn't mm. necessarily literal right? Mm. You weren't Mm. writing, I am having a difficult time. You were channeling your pain. Well, I was complaining to people around me, like we were doing the work or whatever, the spelling work of first grade. Well, you can write it off, but you told me that's your first experience writing, right? Right, right, right. No, yeah, yeah. I'm saying I didn't like write down, this sucks or something. Yeah, exactly. I was expressing. So, and you learned how to hone that Mm. into something that connects with someone else. Oh, I see. Okay. That's to me, that's what my career has been. It hasn't, 
it's not there is definitely the woo woo part. Mm-hmm. And I imagine I'm not I don't want to make assumptions, but I imagine on your best day as a writer, at some point you get there where your fingers are moving faster than your brain technically is. Yeah. And you see it and you're like, oh, oh my God, yeah. And you just like keep writing. Mm-hmm. That's the part we're talking about that feels intangible, that feels silvery and yes. beautiful. Yes. Um, but there's also quite a bit of technicality to learning how to harness that. Right. And right. so for your writer brain, that does exist, you know? Right. Yeah. No, I, I hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's skill involved in it. Yeah. But the but the whole point of that is to harness the intangible. Which you do as well as a writer. I guess. Yeah. Mm. You're welcome for this therapy session. Wow. Yes. <laughs> Will you write a song for me now? Um, uh, wow. That's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's really interesting. <laughs> that, you know, it's like uh, Tolstoy had um, his theory of art is that mm. uh, it's, uh, <laughs> in the best way, it's an infection. Like, and mm-hmm. it sounds like it's very similar to what you described. It, yeah. Right? Where it's like, I have a feeling. Yeah. And good in his mind, good art transmits emotion so yeah, like i love that yeah so so writing is like a more maybe intellectual way to like a more cognitive way to you, you go through a person's thoughts to mm-hmm. to hit their heart um and then music to me it seems like starts um it's tell me if, if i'm totally off but if it seems to me to start with the heart and go to the head or or go beyond the head or whatever Ooh, that's ex- assuming the song doesn't have lyrics Right, you're a songwriter. Yeah. <laughs> this is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I... I'm like going into the weeds here, but I think this is really fascinating. Yeah, uh, the majority of the money I make is on my lyrics. Yeah. Um, and... So that's like a really interesting, like, cross point. Yeah. You're, you're in this world of music, but you're really focused on the words yeah, which of the music. Yeah, which is, is uh, for whatever reason, fairly unusual. Yeah. Which has kind of been my whole career is finding a thing that most people don't do and it becomes <laughs> my yeah. little thing. That's I get awesome. called a lot to fix lyrics. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so you're also like a song editor. Yeah, or yeah, a song rewriter. Song rewriter. Got like it. the top, it's called top line, um, mm-hmm. the thing that the singer sings. Mm-hmm. And so top line is both melody and lyrics. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, a lot of songs and the writers these days care much less about the lyrics than what they call the hook or the post-chorus or the way the song sounds. And that's all fine and good, but oftentimes when the singer gets that song, they get really upset and are like, I don't want to sing these lyrics. And so I get called to write new ones. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And then we have the therapy session. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. (laughs) So I feel like now I'm curious... So, so okay. So I described I think how I I feel like writing works. How do how do you feel like songwriting works then in that regard? In terms of why does why does songwriting touch people on a personal level? You know. Yeah. Um, songwriting or songs. Both. Okay. Yeah. I think. Is it okay that I'm asking like no, really this is technical? Great. Yeah, yeah. I hope okay. I'm doing okay. No, I love it. Yeah. Um, I think the reason that songs and songwriting touch people is because it merges what you just talked about with mm. writing through their heads with yeah. music, which is, you know, vibration-based and really deep yeah. and mm. rich in its connection. Yeah. And I think that's why a great song 
can live with someone in a way that you can't explain. Wow. Like there's a Brandy Carlisle album that got me through the singular worst moment of my life. Yeah. I was, you know, I had had this horrible vocal cord surgery and I couldn't speak for months. And I also in that time just, you know, primo <laughs> got tendonitis in both arms. So I couldn't write or type or speak. There was no communication I could do for about yeah. two months. And I had just this album and it got, it saved my life. And every time I hear that album, I sob. Wow. Like it's a kind of a problem. <laughs> like if it comes on on the radio and I'm in a cab. Oh, it's like Seinfeld. Yeah, right? we're in trouble. Uh-huh. And that is what a song can do for someone. Wow. I try to remember that every time I'm going in to write a song. Hmm. And that to me, again, to bring it back to this, allows me to make it less precious and allows me to suspend ego that it's not necessarily about me. It's not confessional. Like in its best form, a song will be accessible to an entire world of people way past my myopic experience. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's like the Tolstoy thing, right? Where it's yeah, exactly. Like, a virus. Yeah, taking this personal thing and the better I am, better, like it's a tough word, but like the the more, the, yeah, whatever, but the better it is, the more infectious I can make it. Like yeah. something specific yeah. that becomes universal in some way. And in songwriting, that's actually, there are lots of uh, tactics to do that. And mm. I, funny enough, I'm glad we're doing this podcast because <laughs> yeah. I actually, that was a process for me to get there. My first album is super confessional and literal and about exactly what I'm going through in that moment. And I remember listening because that's part of being an artist and evolving. It's kind of difficult. There's that moment where you have an ear that knows good music and you know you're not there yet. Very painful moment to be in. You know, and I would listen to Paul Simon or Joni Mitchell and I used to call it a level of abstraction that they have Mm. where... In my mind, to my mind, sometimes they would just say things that were kind of ridiculous. <laughs> that like would just, but but they were fillers. And I have lots of tactics to get my songs to be less about me. Mm. Uh, I I don't say I a lot. I say you mm. uh, when I'm, for example, uh, like I have a song called Los Angeles, and I say lift up your eyes to meet them. Mm-hmm. And I'm speaking to myself, but if you're listening to that, it's much more personal. There are lots of ways. Wow. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I try to take the word I out of almost every single song. Wow. If there's not a lot. I put we or you. So how then, like, so what happened then when you, how, how do you then apply that to something spiritual like like Judaism? Like what how did you transform that into turning art into then like a direct or I'm assuming was meant to be directly spiritual? Right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know that my songs are, you know how, here's one. A lot of times I'll take, you know, like Kol Haolam Kulo. This is fun because mm. you actually know these references. <laughs> I've been trying to explain this in interviews. It's not going well, but this is, this is a place where nice. I can just tell the real thing. Do it. So I can't, for example... And this is what I mean when I say Jewish contemporary pop, because the Jewish is almost sneaky Jewish, my favorite way. So I went into the studio and I knew that I was really resonating with that idea of, you know, a a narrow bridge and the trick is to not be afraid. I'd been telling myself that all week. So I came into the studio and I sang down into the mic like a 
that part, you know, I sang that part. And I made, I sang what has now become my sound. Mm. I layered a bunch of voices under that. It's all me. Um, and that's all over my album. And it's, to me, supposed to simulate my family of just all these voices. Mm. But in the end, we ended up taking out the Hebrew. Really? And so we have just this choir. That's Jewish. That's li- literally, legitimately from our melody. But I took out the literal reference to it. And then the lyrics of that song reference that theme wow. of what, the, what it's about. And then also they speak on this lineage that I come from, on leaning on your ancestry and on your identity. And the best part, my favorite part of that song, is that then having been inspired by this theme of these powerful women whom I come from, I then called my Safta in Washington Heights and we recorded a conversation of her. Mm. And so before that, and it goes seamlessly into that song, there's an interlude of 52 seconds of my Safta speaking. And she's telling this story, and it's an amazing story of this ancestor of mine, which mm. was her grandmother. So my great great grandmother. And that's how you go into that song. And wow. so that's to me, that encapsulates the breadth of the Jew- that Jewish contemporary pop album. You know, my Safta for me also demonstrates the complexity of my Jewish identity in America. She has a heavy Israeli accent. Mm. Um, she's speaking on a true story. And also even in, she says, she says she tried to come to Israel, to Palestine at the time. She says it like that because mm. she was born in Palestine. You know, that's what her past, her birth certificate says. Mm. And so that, I hope that answers your question, but that's it. It's that, all of that in one space. <laughs> Those are two songs of 15. <laughs> yeah, well, I love that because I think that's so, um, you know, one of the themes that comes up a lot in this podcast is where we're trying to decide, like, how overt is it supposed to be and how implicit. And and I think, like, music in particular to me seems like a, such a powerful uh, venue for this like you, you described it as like covert mm. Judaism, right? Is sneaky. That what, sneaky. Oh, <laughs> sneaky. Yeah, that was a much a much simpler way of putting it. Yeah, like that. That it's it's not that it's not there, right? Very it's not, not like you erased it. It's yeah. it's that you made it uh, precognitive, right? In, yeah. in some way, but then you also had your grandmother there to to help bring it out and help. Like I think that's. Um, it's so, it's such a fascinating approach. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's important, I think for, for listeners, for anyone who's working on this stuff to remember that like, we're not, it's, it, it doesn't mean that it's spiritual just because you stick a bunch of Hebrew words on it. Yeah. In fact, you like this, this, I love the way you described it, where you took the Hebrew words out of it. Yeah. And that is what actually made it more spiritual in a Mm -hmm. sense, because you, you, you're not distracting people mm-hmm. in a sense. Like I, I don't know. I'm just reading into it. But in my mind, you're not distracting people with like overt references in the song. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is just taking them into the emotional experience Exactly. Of it. And that yeah. to me is what's always more compelling anyway. That's the part I love anyway. Right. And yeah, it's uh, – there are, by the way, the one – the downside to that was that when then when I played it for people, this thing that to me was so clearly ours – so clearly Jewish. Mm-hmm. I would play it for people and they didn't register it as such. 
And so there are two interludes on the album, one in particular, that are explicitly so. Right. Like there's when I'm I'm humming Shalom Aleichem, for example, mm-hmm. and people still don't register that as Jewish. <laughs> like our Shabbat song, they're like, oh, this is pretty music. <laughs> so the first, the album opens with the healing prayer and it has Hebrew on it. Wow. So that I could effectively mic drop yeah. and be like, you cannot say this isn't Jewish, sir. <laughs> this yeah. is, you know, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, and live sometimes I'll sing that song loop that section and sing the Hebrew over it. Wow. You know, but in the album itself, it's not there, no. Wow. Yeah. I think that's so, it's so important. Like in so many, it's just like, it's, it's so essential that we, as creatives, as people, that we tap into this idea that spirituality, it's, it's kind of like what we were describing at the beginning where outside in versus inside out Mm. where you know when we get so attached to the clothing of judaism Mm. um we often forget that there's a body inside of it right Mm. like that there's there's a living being that's meant to be wearing those clothes and walking around in them and so there's actually a a hasidic idea brought about by the rebbe where or no is it by the no he brings he's quoting something else i don't remember what it is but he he says that like when we focus too much on cl- on on the levushim on the clothes, uh, uh, basically meaning like the externalities mm. of of everything, we we end up stumbling over ourselves. Because imagine like someone putting on too many clothes, right? Mm. They're putting on like extra pants, because, <laughs> like and and they and their pants are too long, and because yeah. they think like if I just keep covering myself in all this clothing, you know, then I'll be, you know. Properly clothed, I'll be, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll kind of like overdoing yep. this this clothing, mm-hmm. and then they they fall down obviously because mm-hmm. they can't hold all this clothing. Clothing is meant to to simply exist as a as a way to create access to the person within, right? Mm. Um, and so, I think what's I, I just think this idea is so powerful that you're bringing out, which is um, is my this is my interpretation of it. Thank is you. That, <laughs> is that we we need for what you're really tr- trying to do is help people access the soul of of what you've experienced when you when you when you were at that Shabbat service, mm-hmm. for example, or when you were singing oh, with your family. That was making right? me emotional. <laughs> Spot on. Well done. Well done. But it's so important because yeah. I think like I, I it's it's funny because I'm like I know <laughs> it's it's emotional, but I also feel like it's also so important for for other people to understand this mm-hmm. approach mm-hmm. because I feel like so often we're all I'm hearing about is clothing from people. I'm thinking mm-hmm. like, you know, how, how, it, what genre does this fit in? What this does it fit in? Mm-hmm. Or, or is this Jewish enough? Or is it too Jewish? Or mm-hmm. is it this? Or is it that? As opposed to like, does it move people? Does yeah. it, does it take people to where it's meant to take people? Mm-hmm. Um, and by the um, way, for me, at least there is space for a direct Jewish music, sure. like all the space for that. And I love it. Yeah. It's just when I create that wouldn't be fully honest. Right. So, you know, there's space for all of it. Yeah. But thank well, you. I'm glad you like mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's what's so interesting about your story too. Like the origin of this album, yeah. for example, which is that it this album coming out in the way that it did only happened because of overt Jewish music mm-hmm. right? in an overt Jewish setting. Yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just love it all. Hooray. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, I don't know. Am I out of stuff? 
I can't tell you that. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I got really excited. And yeah. then when I get really excited, I go on a big rant. I really enjoyed the I, rant. It was really good. Yeah, but yeah. then I lose. And then I'm like, wait, what were we talking about? Oh, my God. Totally. <laughs> well, yeah, because, you know, like writing. Ideas yes. can, your brain's like, ah. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it's 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 interesting because as a write, I tend to write. Um, I tend to like switch between either writing like op eds mm-hmm. or very personal writing, very like intensely personal writing. And I think um, I, either way, it's like a very overt version of like expressing truth mm-hmm. in my mind. Mm-hmm. Like it's like I'm just this is how it is. This is the truth whether it's my personal truth or it's what I feel like is the objective truth. Mm. Either way, that's like the expression of it. And I've been like trying on a personal level to imagine what it would be like to be less intensely direct about things. Um, it's a good exercise, but again, yeah. there's space for all of it. Yeah, exactly. I sort of feel like you. it's good to do what you're best at. Yeah. Um. There's space for all of it, but it is a good exercise to, if only an exercise. And yeah. I find sometimes the best things come out of exercise because you're not clawing onto it with the idea that it has to be really great. Yeah. Um, it's a good exercise to consider putting the slightest bit of abstraction on something. Yeah. And wow. um, a good way to do that, again, is for it to not be your bread and butter, mm. you know, your primary art. Yeah. It's yeah. actually interesting because I actually do every now and then I write these really weird stories. There you go. I just realized I already do that. What am I talking exactly. about? Exactly. Yeah. You're welcome for this therapy session. Thank you. <laughs> Again, another song. Yeah, there you go. Done. <laughs> um, wow. That, yeah, that's that's really cool. And I yeah. Think, I think that's that's so important because I think that's like the other aspect of this is that whenever – this is why I was saying like it's dicey. At the beginning I was talking about like it's – you have to be careful about saying what is true creativity. Oh, of course. You know, because – yeah, then you go into this, well, you can never be overt about Jewish totally, stuff, you totally. know. And actually, Matasiao totally, when in the beginning of his career, totally upended that idea. Yeah. You know, like that you could make popular music that is like insanely Jewish. Yeah. You know. Yeah, or Idan Rachel, like there are lots of people. Idan Rachel is yeah. not just playing for Jewish people. Right. Um, you know, and... And, and so- also, you don't need to just... You don't, we don't all need to be mainstream. Exactly. I think that's also exactly. something important. Yes. Well, that's you what know? I'm saying. Yeah. I, I say this a lot. I was never the star, if that makes mm. sense. I was never, I had like a nice voice, but I was never the person, you know, sort of winning talent shows. I always was not the star. I'm very thankful for that mm. because it's given me a really broad idea of who of staying power and why I create. Mm. And I am very wary of anybody who puts their stamp on something and says this is the only way. Yeah. It's nonsense, in my opinion. Ooh, that could be applied to so many things. Yeah, there's just, wow. there's an entire world of possibilities. Mm. I think it's really destructive. One thing I love about the school I went to the New School for Jazz, they used to say this all the time, that they were trying to cultivate the mentality of the back of the tour bus mm. because that's what jazz is. Mm. And because jazz in its earliest stages was just amazing black American musicians touring the country and your school was the back of the tour bus. 
That's where you learned. Well, That's where you heard what people were listening to and learned how to act and learn how to show up and all that stuff. And so the school that I went to was very, the conservatory that I went to <coughs> was very open in that sense. They allowed me to take my private lessons with folk songwriters because that's what I wanted to do, you know? And so I, I try and take that with me everywhere that there's no right way. And the most rewarding thing that I've ever done creatively in its most obvious state. And again, I don't believe in accidents was a quote unquote accident. Mm. So who am I to tell anyone how to create this nonsense? Wow. You know, I have friends who they have to, pl- this is a friend of mine, for example, has to play piano every day for 40 minutes. Mm. Otherwise she cannot write. She can't. Mm. She likens it to, you know, staying fit if you're an athlete. Huh. I'm not like that. Mm. I cannot write for months and then write a whole album I did in three weeks, you know? Yeah. Um, if I'm not touring, I'm not singing all the time. You know, I'm, I'm just not like that. My creative and life partner is also not like that. There's room for all of it. Yeah. You know? It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. Cause yeah, that's, that's one of the things you hear a lot of beginners ask is like, okay, how do I, how do I, do this. How do Everyone I become wants a, to know that. Yeah. What's the formula? Yep. And, and that's my, my number one. I meet with a lot of young songwriters. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I say is, you shouldn't take me as a blueprint. Right. Because everybody's experience is multi-layered and so conditional and based on time and who they know and what they know and where they are and what city they're in. It's so unique. And that that's a beautiful thing. It should be celebrated. Mm. So I can tell you what I did. But the big thing I tell everyone all the time is just be a good person Whoa. and be around. Wow. I say that a lot. That's your advice for songwriters. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Oh, everyone. Yeah. Be a good person and be mm. around. And when I say a good person, I mean show up for your friends. Don't consider I I, I don't consider people ven only venues to something you need. Yeah. Like actually listen to people, those kinds of things. Be a good person and then be around. Everything I've gotten has been from that. Like I'm around. Somebody gets sick that day, I get the call because I'm a good person and I'm around, wow. you know? And also don't stop. That's the big other odd. That's the yeah. only advice I can actually give to a songwriter. Wow. That's like, that's exactly what I, I tell a lot of writers. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like I, the most incredible people I went to school with, the ones who were the quote unquote stars, yeah. a lot of them don't make music anymore. Yeah. But I'm still making music. It just didn't stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that myself because I tried stand up for a while and Ooh. it just, yeah, just my schedule was hard and all these things. And I, every, literally every day I think about, I want to go back and I will go back in my head. I know I'm going to go back at some point. Yeah. But it's also interesting to think, like I look at, you know, people I'm friends with on Facebook that were in stand up and, and. It's exactly what you're describing because it's funny because I experienced the opposite with writing. I kept going with writing. Yeah. Um, so I get to kind of see both sides of yep. it. And it's really interesting. I really think the this level of endurance or whatever the word is, the ability to keep going is probably – it's it's probably like the defining difference, I mm-hmm. would say, between 
people that quote unquote succeed and people that don't. I, 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 not that everyone, I'm, I'm talking in, in the sense of like building a career or whatever happened, however they define success. Mm. Um, I just think like keep, just keep going is, is probably the best advice anyone can ever give yeah. anyone else. And then to be honest and say, you're going to want to stop. Yeah. So many times, oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. your voice is going to get destroyed mm. and a surgeon in my case and a surgeon is going to cut out an enormous piece of your vocal cord and it will be unclear if you're ever going to speak again wow and then you're going to have to spend another year learning how to speak again let alone sing and you keep going yeah you know and what you were referencing it's funny with my friend maddie i call it the creative north star like i don't see it She's, she's funny. She, she's very Jewish too. And she (laughs) likens it sort of to like a mental condition. I don't know that I see it necessarily as qualitatively better, you know, Mm. that I can stay around. It's just, I'm obsessed. Mm. I can't stop. Yeah. And every time I have, I've been so miserable that it wasn't worth it. Yeah. But you know, but it, you just keep going. You don't stop. Even when it's so difficult, even when every part of your life points to the fact that you should yeah you know and i love how every bit of this like is so applicable to so many things yeah you know this idea for example of um ugh, i'm trying to remember oh yeah that you were you know that no one has this, there's no blueprint for how to Definitely be not. right like yeah. that i can tell you is like so important for people who are interested in religion like mm. they need to know that yeah um, for example, because it's dangerous to think, and there is unfortunately many people that mm-hmm. spread this idea, just like there are many people in the creative world that spread this idea, yes. like that there is a blueprint. And by the way, I can sell it to yeah, you. Yeah. And here's how much know? it costs. Exactly. I mean, that's Always. exactly how it works in the creative world, right? Like yeah. oh, there's yeah. a book, how to write, like, like, or how to write well, like mm-hmm. what a silly name for mm-hmm. so many books. And someone been, like, blew out my voice paying me paying money for them to teach me how to sing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, yeah, so this idea, so starting with that and then going to this idea um, that that ultimately we, if it's something that's true to us and mm-hmm. something that's real to us, even as we face challenges and even as we face confusion and, and, and setbacks, as mm-hmm. you're describing, or disillusionments, if we keep going, we're going to create something beautiful. Yeah, ultimately. by the nature of the passage of time. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great way to end it. That was awesome. Um, <laughs> do you want to, I'm sure, you, do you want to, um, like, what's it called? Uh, just share anything that you would like people to know about, about your work, how to find you. Oh, yeah. All that stuff. Um, my album, I Am Here, is out now. I'm Tali, T-A-A-L-I. My label's called Rainbow Blonde Records. And it's a worldwide collective uh, all of the things we've talked about in this podcast of the things I love about community and celebrating every individual that's involved, that's all part of Rainbow Blonde. So on our website, you can find all of the amazing people that are part of our team from our business management to the people who make the videos and our producers and all of that. They're all there next to the artists. And I'm mostly on Instagram at Tali Music. That's T-A-A-L-I Music. I'm also on Twitter where I exist almost solely to follow a lot. <laughs> and but I'm trying to get better at Twitter because there's all the great Jews are on Twitter. And on Twitter I'm Tolly Tweets, T-A-A-L-I Tweets. I'm on Facebook. And I'm in real life in New York, <laughs> often at Hivria events. Wow. <laughs> Hopefully more in the future. Yes. <laughs> I'm performing. Wow. 
Um, well, thank you so much. Thank it was so you. So good to have you. Yeah. And, uh, let's do it again sometime. Yes, please. Thank you for listening to Hivria Cast. I'm Aladna Harai. If you'd like to hear more and read more of our work, you can follow us by going to hevria.com or facebook.com slash hevriamag. We've been recording at the Kalal Studios in New York City, and the music that you're hearing is Voice Lessons by Darshan. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing and hearing from you again. Oh,